orphans, orphans, orphans everywhere. This week in 60 Weeks, 60 Books, I take a look at another book where, like ballet shoes, the protagonist is an orphan with a side glance at another key orphan in literature, Jane Eyre. Elizabeth Googe was born in 1900 and had a quintessentially English upbringing. The daughter of a theologian, she was raised in a strong Anglican tradition and lived for her early years in cathedral and university towns, first Wells, then Oxford and Ely, mostly in tied housing that came with her father's work. When he died in 1939, she and her mother decamped to Devon, and there is a strong flavour at the start of The Little White Horse, published in 1946, of a sense of exile. On the death of her father, Maria Merriweather and her governess, Miss Heliotrope, impoverished, must leave London and move to the home of a distant cousin, Sir Benjamin Merriweather, along with Wiggins, Maria's beautiful but selfish King Charles Spaniel. We meet all three of them in Sir Benjamin's coach, some distance beyond Exeter, on their way to Moonacre. Maria contemplating her very pretty boots, Miss Heliotrope trying to read a slim volume of French essays in the dwindling light, and Wiggins thinking of his most recent meal and anticipating his next one. It is cold in the coach, but as they slow down, the 13-year-old child and the governess lean out of the window and wonder exactly how they will navigate the sheer rock before them. The wizened coachman hops down from his perch, hauls on a bell pull, and moments later a shadowy figure opens a doorway in the rock through which they drive and then find themselves in the domain of Moonacre, moving through an exquisite landscape of trees and rolling hills, silvered by moonlight. And when Mariah peers into the forest, she believes she sees a dainty white horse waiting to greet her. What might have been exile soon becomes a homecoming, just, it seems, as did Googe's own experience of living in Devon during World War II. Googe and her mother settled for 11 years until old Mrs Googe's death in 1950 in a village called Malden, where they participated fully in the community, going to church and living in a cottage they had built for themselves. The book itself is set in 1842, the early years of the Victorian reign. Like Enid Blyton, Googe writes about food, heightened, no doubt, by the rationing that persisted in Britain until the early 1950s. The book is the same vintage as the adventure series by Blyton, mid to late 1940s, and there is a sense underpinning of a community and landscape that I still somewhat recognised during my own first years in England when I first read this. At eight, I was sent to boarding school. I spent four years at a school deep in the Sussex countryside, or so it felt then, although now I see that it is on the outskirts of a commuter town. Like Mariah, I was an urban child, raised first in Washington DC and then in London. At half-terms and holidays, I travelled to London by train and then on to Heathrow to visit my father and stepmother in Washington. But that journey between Victoria and Uckfield seemed somewhat like that transition for Mariah between her old life in a London townhouse and the Devon countryside. We weren't allowed to bring books to school. 
heaven knows why, although I suspect that our headmistress, the daunting Mrs Ford, or Fodder, as we nicknamed her, was one of those Philistines who believed that reading was an innately dodgy pastime, not really a proper activity. We were thrown out into the grounds of the school daily in all weathers, in Wellingtons and Duffelcoats, where we played in rhododendron dells and around the old pines and horse chestnuts that were planted when the house itself was built in 1838. A manor house with some decorative brickwork and mullioned windows, it seemed to me initially to embody characteristics of both Toad Hall and Moonacre Manor. Luckily, The Little White Horse was, along with Green Dolphin Street, one of the books in the so-called library that Fodder had declared was more than ample for the pupils' needs. So I was able, unlike bringing Harriet the Spy or ballet shoes into the school, to read the book regularly. On rereading, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but wonder now how I missed the unmistakably Christian messages it conveys. Around the same time, I was reading the Narnia novels of C.S. Lewis. The symbolism and proselytising did not escape me. At boarding school, not only did I make my first acquaintance with chilblains and terribly crinkle, crinkly J's toilet paper, I also experienced morning prayers and Sunday matins for the very first time. The little white horse managed, unlike Lewis, to smuggle its Anglican heritage past me. I think there are two elements that allowed that to slip under the radar. First, there is the magic, which I am sure was one of the features that will have enchanted J.K. Rowling as a child. As soon as Mariah and Miss Heliotrope enter through the tunnel hewn through rock that protects Moonacre from the rest of the world, they encounter a gentle, magical force. Mariah sees the little white horse, Miss Heliotrope's indigestion fades, Mariah is reunited with a real version of her dearest imaginary friend Robin, who used to visit her in the London Square where she lived, and Robin's mother, Loveday, purveys simple herbal potions that keep the people of Moonacre healthy and happy. The second is the romantic element of the novel. Three couples are united, and in the case of two, reunited by the end of the book. I was, and still am, slightly troubled that Mariah and Robin appear to be married off to one another at the age of 14 or 15, but in the world of Moonacre, true love is a force for recognition of each other's strengths and a celebration of the marriage of true minds. It is partnership and fellowship and spiritual sustenance. As a child of divorced parents, this was an important lesson. When I first read The Little White Horse, my parents' separation and legal process was over, but very recent, and had caused a complete upheaval in my life. Like Mariah, I was taken out of a setting I had known all my life and transplanted into new places. Neither boarding school nor the somewhat precarious movement from flat to flat as my mother began to navigate her new life in 1970s London was exactly a moonacre. My parents' divorce was not easy. Both found ways to use me to hurt one another in the subsequent years, and it bred in me a deep cynicism about relationships. But what the little white horse gave me was a subconscious and subtle hope, an expectation that there are good people in the world, that there are conflicts that can be resolved, that those who love and are separated like Miss Heliotrope and Louis de Fontenelle, who has become Old Parson in Moonacre, can be reunited. 
and that those that quarrel and fall out, like Sir Benjamin and Love Daminette, may be reconciled. Alongside Jane Eyre, it was the first romantic novel I read. At the time, I had no idea that Jane Eyre was a romantic novel and was altogether hooked, not by the relationship between Jane and Rochester, but by the brutal experiences she suffers at the hands of the Reed family, her cousins, and then at boarding school. There is the high drama of the moment when Rochester has cajoled Jane into marriage and his brother-in-law interrupts the service to accuse Rochester of attempted bigamy. But I remember thinking of how very unfair it was that Jane could only marry, marry Rochester once he had been maimed and blinded. I read and reread The Little White Horse, not as regularly as ba Ballet Shoes or Harriet the Spy, but still often enough for Mariah's courage and determination to shape my own approach to difficulties, for the gentle, delicate world that Elizabeth Googe brings into being to shape my understanding of what a good life might be. Googe is an old-fashioned writer, somewhat fallen out of fashion. I hope that Rowling's champion of the championing of this particular book will revive interest in a writer who delicately sought to see what is best and kindest in humanity. Next week, a look not so much at one book, but at the works of Jean Plady, focusing in particular on young Elizabeth, but also looking at the power of historical fiction. Meet you then. <laughs>